Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Look, I know you want to get to the podcast, so I'm going to keep this short. No, when it you're comes never to keeping things short. Go on. I'm five You're five. Not <laughs> when it comes to opera, we're the only ones bringing you everything you need to know about the art form, the people, and the stories every damn week. And you always pronounce them so well. Check it out. <laughs> five bucks buys an ad on social media. Ten bucks covers our website for a month, and twenty bucks makes a hundred lapel pins. So there are like maybe a hundred people in this world that have a lapel pin. So we want to double that number. Seriously, right. 20 bucks. That's less than what Oliver spends each week on light-bodied red wines, whatever they are. <laughs> like Gamay, you know, like a Cru Beaujolais, you know. Don't think it can give? Yes, you can. Simply review us on Apple Podcasts, share our Facebook posts, or retweet us. Most of all, keep listening to America's Talk radio show about opera. Oh. Okay, that was too many calls to action. So the main call to action is give us money, because that's obviously how you can help us. The other thing you can do is review us on iTunes, is that what you said? So if you don't feel like giving us money and you don't feel like spending precious time typing, what you can do is just click that share button when you see our post on Facebook, and you could like our page, actually. If you like our page, that helps us get to more people because Facebook is evil, and it basically helps us see your friends. Most of all, <laughs> keep listening to America's Talk radio show about opera. Enjoy the podcast. And retweet, because Toby loves that. <laughs> Enjoy the podcast. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however you're listening, welcome to America's talk radio show about opera, period. Here in the Lakeside Studio, we are live on WNUR 89.3 FM and HD1 Evanston, Chicago. I'm your host, Weston Williams, joined tonight by Matt Cummings and Oliver Camacho. All right, tonight it's a Thanksgiving chalk talk. We'll tell you what we're grateful for in Opperland just in time for Turkey Day. But first, it's a very special Hall of Fame from Matt Cummings where we bring you a long overdue tribute to the late, great Jesse Norman. Plus, in the two-minute drill, the Mets' credit, dra- uh, credit rating gets downgraded, a Glyndebourne director gets fired, and the Vienna State Opera puts on an opera written by a w- woman. Hey, it only took them 150 years. And, of course, you can call us on air and get your voice heard. 847-866-WNUR is our number in studio. Give us your hot take on the latest opera news stories. 847-866-9687. Or tweet us at Opera Box Score or post on our Facebook page. So many options to get into contact with us. But without further ado, Oliver Camacho, how are you? It is time for the... Figure skating Grand Prix finals. <laughs> it, and I am it, so your excited. time has come, yes, Oliver. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, Alexander Samarin qualified in third place. He's my boyfriend. Still waiting for uh, the pairs. So one in the long list, right? <laughs> Still waiting for the pairs gate to allow same sex couples. Uh, that's hopefully coming in 2020. All right. Still, how about you, Matt? What, what sport do you have your eye on right now? Can I repeat my answer from last week and say counting down the months until the Olympics? I hear the Bears are really terrible. Is that helpful? Uh, it does not. It is not helpful. <laughs> it did not helpful in the slightest. I'm, I mean, I'm curious to see what the mood is going to be like yeah. in Pittsburgh because apparently the Steelers have been pretty rough this year too, mm-hmm. and it's always like a little extra gray oh, there. I heard in the winter. something about somebody taking a helmet and hitting somebody with over the head. Oh with it God, like, yeah, that was awful. Yeah, um, yeah I, it I, was a Steeler who got hit yeah. in the head. Okay. He, he, we were not the offender, but 
Hmm. Um, <laughs> we, were we were not, the offendee. We personally <laughs> were not uh, uh, the ones who, who who done did it. Yeah, it and was we'll, it was probably like story number forty two in the in the weekly rundown of all the news. It's, has there been on all the yeah. news recently or something? <laughs> I just want to clarify that uh, Alexander Samarin is twenty one years old, so he's perfectly legal for me. <laughs> So don't think I'm a creep. Uh, okay, I do not think that passes sure. the half your age plus seven uh, test. Sure. <laughs> I'm just going to start into the opera conversation before things get too awkward here in the studio. Too late. And now, ladies and gentlemen, this is OBS Hall of Famer. Our enthusiastic, yet humble... Salute to a distinguished opera artist who has gone above and beyond to contribute greatly, distinctively, and with grand significance to the art and honor of opera. And as Norm's voice echoes into the mountains and the hills. Over the wistful yes. strains of Aaron <laughs> Copeland. An eagle flies over. <laughs> I, love, I love that intro so much. All right, Matt, what have you got for us today? Okay, so this one is monumental. Uh, it's, it is not about Everest, but it does feel like my <laughs> Everest of, uh, of Halls of Fame. And that is because... This is the one and only, the voice of a, the, the uh, one in a century kind of voice and mm-hmm. artistry, Jesse Norman. Uh, a lot of ink has been spilled about Jesse Norman over the last two months since she was, uh, since she tragically shed her mortal coil. Uh, and I can't possibly offer a summary of her in just 20 minutes. It's impossible. She did too many things. She was too good at too many things. She, I, I could honestly just sit here and read you 20 minutes worth of funny Jesse Norman quotes. Um, <laughs> because I kept finding more and more as I was researching for this segment that I wanted to include. Uh, so tonight, I, w- I want to let her be the best advocate for herself with her singing uh, and her insight and her words. And I just want to point it out what it is that made her one of the greats to me and i'm sure uh i'm sure oliver will yeah, have so things to we add as well got in the studio at the same time it's been i know it's been, <laughs> it's <laughs> it's been like a carousel yeah. like a it, it feels like a, a scooby-doo chase scene we're just in yeah, one door and out the other coming, yeah. there's a monster chasing behind you and the monster is exactly me. it was me the whole time uh, exactly you were the monster old man west mm-hmm. in, the, in the fairgrounds unlike old man west <laughs> Jesse i can't Norman. believe it's been September 30th. September, that, yeah. That was almost two months ago. Yeah. Gosh. It's crazy how time flies. It's crazy how much Jesse Norman I listened to in the week mm-hmm. immediately thereafter. You were not alone in that, I know. for sure. Uh, and her discography is incredible. I, I, ha- I found eight, I found eight se- selections that, I'm, that we're going to play tonight. Picking just eight was also impossible. So I have a list of about 14 more that everyone should listen to. Um, uh, Jesse Norman came from a humble background and grew up and became one of the most sought after singers in her generation. She sang a little bit of everything, uh, but especially excelled in the German repertoire. Uh, she she was unafraid to pursue music that people didn't do that people didn't like uh some of that we played in the show uh that was on uh, that that was on uh september 30th what the like the guru leader from by schoenberg for example that's you know you need a jesse norman kind of advocate for for a piece like that someone who's unafraid to take risks and really just go there with music that people don't really know already except for me i know about it okay but just just thanks to jesse norman (laughs) thanks jesse (laughs) uh 
And for me, what really sets her apart from a lot of the other singers of her generation is uh, this spirit of adventurousness and also that it always felt like she was collaborating, even when she was just collaborating with the audience. Mm. Um, that, that Those just typify what made her a special singer, uh, not only in her own generation, but in the pantheon of great singers. Uh, and the confidence that was able to shine through her unique presence was and remains inspirational to many in the arts, but also to those outside the arts. There have been poems written about her. The, she sang at more than one inauguration and performed at the Olympics and sang for the Queen. Like She, she was an icon. Uh, and all she kind of had to do was open her mouth and let that voice pour out like molten lava, and you know she, did, she should be in the room. Uh, so the first clip that I picked for her is not something that you... Uh, it is not one of those big just Jesse Norman wall of sound recordings. It's a recording of her doing Erlkenich. Oh, uh, I'm so and, excited. And I want to talk about it first because this really it shows how much of a storyteller she was. Uh, very few singers, I feel, are actually this successful in differentiating between the four char- the three characters of the song mm. or the four characters of the song: the narrator, the father, the son, and uh, the Erlkenich. Uh, and it never feels unnatural. It always sounds like her voice, and it doesn't feel like she's putting anything on or being affected. Uh, so let's hear a clip of this. So uh, those of you who have studied that song in conservatory maybe uh, are going to be familiar and have su- have already sought out Jesse Norman performing this on YouTube are going to be familiar with a video where she is surrounded by this room of swirling projections and in the moment immediately after she does, she says Gewalt or I'll take him I'll take you by force she makes the most horrifying face that I have <laughs> ever seen so good. Uh, and I highly recommend searching this out on YouTube we'll put it up we should put it up on our website as well yeah uh, so Jesse Norman def- was she she was a concert singer. She was a recitalist. She sang really all types of music, but she did perform an awful lot of opera. And she got a young star performing in opera. She made her operatic debut in Germany at the age of twenty two or twenty three, in the role, uh, you know, a, a really easy role like uh, Elizabeth in Tannhäuser. <laughs> <laughs> Piece of cake. You know, I can walk on and do it tomorrow. It's absolutely nothing. But you know, <laughs> when you can sing Dich Teure Halle like this, you can sing it at twenty two as well. Thank you. 
which performance was that? That I believe is from her studio recording. Okay, because there is a, a live performance of her from, I think I want to say Covent Garden or some British opera house, where she comes out in a concert and it's just like at bare stage. She comes out, um, with her this really big caftan, and she just makes such a big presence with her person you know yeah she sings gloriously and she stays in character the entire time and even when the applause starts she's still (laughs) yeah she she was relatively famous for being that kind of a larger than life presence uh both in terms of her voice and just her her being on stage she was very tall she was Mm -hmm. just a large woman in every sense she had big eyes she had this million watt smile that could just light up a room (laughs) uh but that clip for me really uh exemplifies what critics uh described as her beautiful tone extraordinary power and musical sensitivity uh and when she made her debut in this role at the age of 23 ish she was described as having the greatest voice since lotta lehmann who is like one of those german sopranos who is still talked about she was grace bumbry's teacher she uh you know she looms large over german romantic opera she has a book that you can all read she has several books but yeah the (laughs) more than more than song or is some it's something like that uh, and Jesse Norman, you have to think about that. Jesse Norman, this was in the mid '60s, so she was born in Jim Crow South. And she, when she gave an interview shortly after this premiere, she said uh, that singers like Leontine Price and Matilda Dobbs, and uh, who who had broken down the bar- the color barriers just shortly before, said mm. they've made it possible for me to say I will sing French opera or I will sing German opera instead of being told you will sing Porgy and Bess. It's unrealistic to pretend that racial prejudice doesn't exist. It does. It's one thing to have a set of laws and quite another to change the hearts and minds of men. That takes longer. I do not consider my blackness a problem. I think it looks rather nice. (laughs) So great quote. And that was, you know, that that's a girl in her that that is a woman in her young twenties who is making a name for herself. She is so eloquent and she's and all of that eloquence comes through in her singing and her phrasing as well. Uh, And from the same interview comes one of the more uh, one of the Jesse Norman quotes that gets thrown all, <laughs> one of the quotes that gets thrown around a lot, which is that pigeonholes are only comfortable for pigeons. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and she said that because she had an enormous voice. She sang a lot of dramatic soprano rap, but she also sang like contralto rap. She sang early music. Uh, the her second role after Elizabeth was the Countess and the Marriage of Figaro. And, no. Yeah, and she sang wow. it with Fischer Dieskau in Berlin. Uh, as just a young, as a young singer making her start, uh, and here is a clip uh, from it's Colin Davis, the right? Colin Davis yeah. recording yeah. of Dovisono.
I have that recording. And when her and Mila Rafaini sing uh, Sularia, it's like, I've never heard this twist yeah. song. It's so rich. <laughs> and, but, but even with all of that sound, what really impresses me about that recording is how incisive her rhythm is and her attention to musical detail. And we don't really think of her as much of a Mozart singer these days just because she recorded so much other stuff. Yeah. But it, it does continue to be a good litmus test to see what, what she can do stripped away from all of the trapping and goop of romantic opera that can just... <laughs> goop? I, you heard it goop. here first. Oh, what a <laughs> romantic opera is slippery. Phrase. Yes. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd listen to that, Countess. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Um, speaking of goop, she... <laughs> oh, hit me with the but, goop, But Matt. beautiful, glorious, uh, pre-atonal, but still kind of weird goop um, <laughs> is her re- recording of Berg's uh, Seven Early Songs. Yeah, She was a huge proponent of this kind of art song repertoire that was getting overlooked. Uh, and she was an advocate for this music and an avid recitalist, and she... Uh, here's a recording of her uh, orchestral, her orchestra recording of the uh, Berg Siebenfrühlieder. This is uh, Die Nachtigall, the Nightingale. In a twist that will surprise no one, I love this so- song cycle, <laughs> and, uh, and she's so perfect for it. The size of her voice with a fairly large orchestra—it's the London Symphony Orchestra with Boulez conducting—but with that the, the yeah. sensitivity of just someone with a piano, you know. And she was known for her attention to detail and just wanting to rehearse phrases over and over and over mm-hmm. again until she got them exactly how she wanted them. Uh, since it's a Hall of Fame, there's of course a personal. Uh, a personal aspect, which is that one of the, f- for, for me, which is that one of the first opera recordings that I ever saw that made me f- really, truly love the art form was the Ariadna of Naxos from the Met with her and Kathleen Battle and Tatiana Troianos mm-hmm. uh, from 1985 or thereabouts. Uh, this is, uh, you guys beat me to playing Eskip Dein Reich <laughs> uh, back in September, but I had to put some Ariane in there because of how much I love her performance in this role. Uh, so this is a little I, bit of Ariane's I first. I think if you listen to her sing any operatic role, it should be this one. It yeah. should be this performance. Then you will understand. Mm. Yeah.
So that was, in a word, opulent. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Sometimes when the tone just locks in, I mean, it's always beautiful, but sometimes it just locks in and you hear the air is being used so efficiently. And like, it's all of a sudden like she pulls the trigger on that note. And, and I, I agree with you that Ariana was a role that was particularly suited to her talents because she was grandeur personified. Yes. Uh, just the, the way that she could move her voice around and just make it make it just crescendo and take and yeah. decrescendo at seemingly at will was perfectly suited to music like Strauss and Wagner uh and and the dignity and regalness that it requires not only of your stage presence but of your tone uh and s- there were people there were those who criticized Jesse Norman for being a bit difficult to approach with those this grandiosity were wrong. uh <laughs> and certainly she had a long career uh she's given some interviews that come off as a little arch you could say uh, but if you really consider it in the whole story of her narrative, it it to me really feels more than putting on airs or being over the top. It, st- it feels like a refreshing boldness from a woman who the world probably taught from a very young age to not stand out. That, yes. that she was someone who didn't matter as much and she refused to listen to those who said that to her. And... Uh, the, uh, the Washington Post uh, obituary of her quoted uh, Rosalind's story who and her book, And So I Sing, African-American Divas of Opera and Concert, uh, who said that uh, black singers look to Jessie Norman with her towering sense of self and majestic instrument as an exemplary figure just because uh, she was able to embody this confidence that that she that everyone deserves. Yeah. Uh, and if you're going to talk about just glorious sense of self and a majestic instrument it does not get much better a close runner-up to ariadne would be this 57 second clip that is the absolute best of the valkyrie prepare for some goosebumps folks So if you've listened to any of the show ever, you know that Weston loves Wagner. <laughs> no. Uh, um, and I kind of go back and forth. I run hot and cold on Wagner. But if there was anything that was going to get me off of that fence and into the pro-Wagner camp, <laughs> it's that clip of Jesse Norman and singing Sieglinda. What a perfect length of a clip to express how powerful her voice was. I mean, when Jesse Norman died... That was something that the Met put out. Yeah, um, yeah, from, and it was like this is perfect. It's a minute. People can s- sit through a minute and get understand a person and what she did in those most difficult fifty seven seconds. You get her of, glorious yeah. voice. You get her theatricality. You get her face when she's singing that. It's so. But you also hear how her voice compares to the orchestra. It's like it's the sa- it's on top of all it of it. Just yes. pours out of her. It, it seemingly. With seemingly effortlessly, but with all of that kind, with all of that soul, that just made her a cut above. Um, 
while she didn't particularly love to sing roles that sat very high, she was also, um, she, she really stands out among sopranos for this sepulchral lower range. Mm. Um, for like early in her career, she was asked to sing a lot of Verity roles and she, she turned them down not only because that wasn't the kind of music that she really liked to sing that she really identified with, but also it wasn't necessarily a natural fit for her voice. That kind of sustained line where you're shifting color slowly while sustaining a note for about 15 seconds is really in her wheelhouse more than like a Lady Macbeth uh, that has to move around and go all the way to the top of the staff and the bottom of the staff. Uh, but uh, I can't think of many other sopranos who would have been sought after to sing the alto solo in the Mahler Second Symphony. <laughs> uh, but listen to this clip of her singing Urlicht, which is the uh, the fourth movement of the Second Symphony. Uh, and it's it's an adaptation of a Mahler song, um, Oruschen Rot. Uh, and you, you tell me after this if she has the range. She honestly has fourteen lungs. I don't she know. How has she has the range, it. but it's it's also not just a matter of her like having those notes in her range, but it's also being able to make music in that tessitura, because not everybody has their full you know color palette in right. every yeah. every part of their voice, and even mezzo sopranos or contraltos who sing that music find challenges in it where the music is kind of controlling how the phrasing goes. She's in complete control of how she wanted to. And the way she bridges the low range all the way up to that float back Mm -hmm. into the upper middle is so graceful and uh, just... The, the most loving caress from someone who I, I, do, I don't want you to come away from the segment thinking that all she's good for is bombast because she could sing loudly right. and powerfully because she could do that and she could do that better than most anyone. But she could also create the most tender, intimate moments in this music in, in, in a way that was truly special and that the world will miss going forward. But thankfully, she has a tremendous discography. A lot of it is on... Uh, a lot of it is on Spotify. There are really some top-notch performances that are available from Met Player. Not that I'm a shill for Met for the for the Metropolitan <laughs> Opera right now, but that Ariadne is. It, 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 and many of them are also available on YouTube. Not the Ariadne, but also the dialogues of the Carmelites and the uh, the 
Troyan, where she plays both Cassandra and Dido. Uh, something that no one does. Only Jesse Norman. Uh, <laughs> and maybe maybe Shirley Verrett did, yeah. did it too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know, if if that's your company, that's you know, I've I've expounded many many words about how much I love Shirley Verrett on yeah. this show as well. <laughs> <laughs> so the moral of my story here is that it is incredibly difficult to set, sum up Jesse Norman in like two thousand words, let alone twenty minutes of a segment. And I almost didn't add this final clip because it seemed over the top to have more than a third of the clips view Wagner. I see no problems with that. Yeah, we, exactly. <laughs> Case closed. Uh, I thought about including Evartung. I thought about Fidelio. I thought about Bluebird's Castle. I thought about just putting all 26 minutes of her idiosyncratic but glorious four last songs on there. Mm. Um, and many of the other performances I just mentioned, Carmelites, Troyan, it's it's all the good. Carmen is good with Seiji Ozawa. Yeah, it... Yeah. Things that you would never expect to be fantastic are just out of this world. But um, at the end of the day, I couldn't get through this segment without including her singing some Tristan, just because the the stasis of that music requires a voice like Jesse Norman's to really bring it to life. Uh, and what really stands out for me about this clip, I want to say it before you listen to it so you can hear what I hear, <laughs> uh, is the way that she treats the orchestra like a duet partner. It's so sensitive and it's so unified and that just drives home for me that she, even though she was a diva in the truest sense of the word, she was always a collaborator when she was she was collaborating with the art itself sometimes. But here is a bit of the Liebestod. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Support for Opera Box Score is provided in part by Opera Philadelphia. For the first time in over 30 years, Opera Philadelphia presents special concert performances of the massive masterpiece, Verdi's Requiem. <laughs> bam, 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 bam. It's That's great. what she smacks. <laughs> <laughs> this dramatic exploration of the Roman Catholic Mass for the Dead comes to life with over 80 instrumentalists, 100 choristers, <laughs> and the powerhouse vocals of four of opera's rising stars. I want to say these people have risen already. Lea Crocetto, 
Daniela Mack, friend of the show. Oh, friend of the show, Daniela yes. Mack. Yes. Just top notch. Uh, Absolutely top notch. Evan Leroy Johnson and In Sung Sim. Opera Philadelphia's own Maestro Corrado Rivaris conducts in celebration of his 20th anniversary with the company. Here for yourself, why NPR, if they say something, then you've got to You know it's yeah. true. Yeah. Why NPR calls the Requiem a conductor's dream come true. And so it is. Verdi's Requiem at Opera Philadelphia for just two performances, January 31st and February 2nd. Don't miss it. In the historic Academy of Music. Get tickets today at operaphila.org. You know... I just clear. I'm clearing some stuff off my DVR because I feel like it's the holidays are coming. And I'm just mm-hmm. a lot going on there, and I just watched the Requiem from the Hollywood Bowl conducted by Dudamel with uh, with Michelle DeYoung, who died that time, <laughs> and um, what's his name, Victoria Gugolo, Gravy, Gravy, yeah. Va- yeah. Gravy, Gra- Gravy, Gravy, yeah. <laughs> no, no. and. Uh, I forgot who the bass was. Oh, it was a Bralda D'Arcangelo. And the soprano was somebody I'd never heard of. I probably should know her name. And she was really good, but she was not, like, name recognition soprano. Well, you know, I, w- God, I, would, call, I would call Verdi's Requiem probably top, th- top two rec- Requiems yes. ever done, Well, right? it, is, it is a conductor's dream come true. For and, sure. And a bad. Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. That's right. That's what you're listening to. We are here, Opera Box Score. We just got through one heck of a segment. I, I, first of all, I want to say, this is, if you're an American listener uh, in the United States, uh, this week is Thanksgiving, and I'm grateful for Matt Cummings mm. for doing that segment for us. And Thank I'm you, thankful Matt. for Jesse Norman. <laughs> <laughs> but that's right, we've got Turkey Day coming up, so we thought we'd do a little bit of a little sort of Thanksgiving-themed segment here where we talk about what we're grateful for over the past sort of year or so in opera land. Uh, who wants to go first? How about you, Olive? Are you sure. looking here in the corner there? Yeah, I'll just say everybody knows what my general tastes are. Um, and <laughs> I'm just grateful that there are this next generation of early music specialists who are using the established performance practice as sort of a jumping point and are really doing something original and uh, with lots of creativity, and it's not chaste, it's exciting, and it's probably more exciting than standard canon repertoire. I think the only thing that can compare in terms of what it's getting me excited these days uh, is new music. And I can't believe I'm even saying this, but yeah, like, who are you? I know. Like, I saw uh, Dog Days uh, last Written week. Written by a uh, friend of the show, yeah, David and I'll, that'll be part of my good call. Uh, but uh, I was really like, this is very moving and very relevant and it's speaking directly to me but the thing that will right now be my first choice are these people like Greek conductor Theodor Korensis who just uh, performed Verdi Requiem and got the attention of like the Observer and the New Yorker and people are saying oh my god this guy's like the next coming and he just brings his historically informed sensibilities to music you don't expect to have to, to need that, you know, or there's the Russian conductor uh, Maxim Emelianichev who leads right now uh, Il Pomodoro, and he plays harpsichord and he plays cornetto and he conducts and he's like this skinny, lanky, you know, 21 year old. He looks like he's 15. <laughs> he has like this baby face, you know, and he's so exciting to watch. And he just, you could just tell that he's so into it and it's so cool. And like everybody that's in that band is like, we're cool. We love this music. I'm going to stand up for my music stand. I'm going to not look at the music. I'm going to play my recorder solo in the middle of the stage. And Maxim Emelianichev's bowl haircut's going to be in his face. And it's going to be really adorable and dorky and <laughs> so cool. Um, friend of the show, uh, 
Karim Sulaiman. He's actually not a friend of the show. I don't know if he is, but he's he a, will be. Soon. He will be. Yeah, <laughs> we have spoken. Uh, he's a tenor. He won the Grammy for his uh, his Italian kind of, and he's Chicago native. Yeah, his Italian with uh, recording of like uh, Orfeo type music from the Seicento with um, what is that orchestra Apollo's Fire. Mm. Uh, so cool. There's a contralto named Lucille Richardot who came to Chicago with the Monteverdi tour last year, or Janet Gardner, and she just came out with a recording of like, you know, 17th century uh, English lute song, which is, it sounds like, yeah, that sounds really exciting, but it's actually really cool. <laughs> and I wanted you guys to hear a recording that just came out last month. It's the Monteverdi Vespers. Uh, the But like uh, you've never heard it before. The ensemble is called La Tempête. And they have a really great discography. That's French for the Tempest. Yes. Uh, The conductor is Simon-Pierre Bastion. And, um, I mean, it's hard to encapsulate what makes this recording so cool, but you have to just find it on Spotify and listen to the thing. Just start it. Just start it and listen to 10 minutes of it. And if you're not into it, write to us and say, you're wrong, Oliver. Here's a a little sample of the uh, Dixie Dominus. I mean, credit mostly goes to Monteverdi, but <laughs> I feel like this recording is so colorful. And you hear like the recorder in the midst of all this, you know, string texture and the harpsichord and these voices. And, like, I don't know the way this this performance is recorded. It's just so colorful and has so much, so many different layers, but it's transparent at the same time. And it's so exciting. And I, I can't even explain to you how good this recording is, but please listen to 10 minutes of it. You will not be sorry. Anyway, so go... I wasn't sorry for that clip. Yeah, go <laughs> early music uh, innovators. Uh, you know who you are. I love you. How about you, Matt? Aside from Jesse Norman, as we've very firmly established, <laughs> what are you grateful for? So I'm grateful not only that we've seen over this past like year or so that there have been more and more young people stepping into roles of leadership, but that uh, more and more the these these new milestones are seeming less fascinating less interesting so we have an all-female leadership team at chicago opera theater they're mavericks they're they're charting a new course for the company uh and now now stories like this don't aren't aren't, they're not brand new anymore right and i think and that's the kind of stuff that we don't want to be brand new anymore the uh yannick nezes again is taking over the music director position at the at the met he hasn't uh he's fully taking over in 2020 i believe uh and the fact that having someone in that prominent of a position of leadership who is a gay man and that it's not only a non-issue, but it's something that's celebrated shows that uh, <laughs> opera is capable of coming along with the times in some way. Uh, and, and stories like our, like our friend Priti Gandhi up in uh, Minnesota opera, we just see more and more evidence of a new generation getting the chance to step up and lead in this art form. And that's going to make a big difference. That's uh, certainly something that I'm also grateful for, you know, as far as, uh, 
I feel like this year felt like a big seismic shift uh, as far as um, the the Me Too movement was concerned. And, and really, I am grateful for the Me Too movement uh, because it brings this level of accountability that I don't think has really existed in opera until the pa- these past couple of years. And with the sort of the fall of the tenor who shall not be named, uh, I think that there is now some sort of incentive and increased awareness that there is a moral obligation in opera to change and be relevant and not let these vestiges of of the negative aspects of the opera world, the shady corners, not let those hold so much sway over the rest of the art form. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. The the down with the patriarchy. Down with the patriarchy. Yeah. <laughs> we are not grateful for the patriarchy. I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't read uh, Ashley's. Did you want to finish, Weston? Or no, I, I think that's a, that kind of uh, okay. covers most of what I... I also want it because that one's maybe kind of a bummer. I do also want to say I'm really grateful for the recording of Ellen Reed's opera Prism, which is sort of touches on these issues of uh, uh, sexual assault and things like this. Uh, she won a Pulitzer earlier this year. Um, and the recording is out there. I would play a clip, but I don't think we necessarily have time for it uh, at this point. But look it up. It's it's really good. All right. Um, who wants to read Ashley's comment? She could not be here tonight, but she's You've heard my voice enough yeah. in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go ahead and read it. Um, this it. is I'm not going to do my Tennessee Williams play voice for her. Oh, so. please <laughs> do not do that. I'm grateful for the rise <laughs> of American opera in American houses this season. Dead men walking in our fair city, Akhenaten at the Met, Yardbird getting even more play, play in Seattle, Washington, doing Tesori blue i missed the comma there it's great to see how more a houses uh, are understanding that there's room for everyone at the table mm-hmm. let's keep it up i'm grateful that the world of classical music took a collective moment to honor revere and understand that genius that was jesse norman gratitude and grief don't cancel each other out and while i'm sad for what is lost i'm grateful for what remains her legacy if only it had been in a place where she could have heard us proclaiming our admiration more rest well sweet queen and thank you for everything Finally, I'm grateful that we're in a snapshot of time where this show not only exists, it has listeners <laughs> who engage. Amazing. <laughs> like 10, I still 10 can't or, believe it. Yeah. 15. Yeah. <laughs> and either love or are learning to love this art form like we do. And I'm grateful that this crew, that's us, lets me hang out with them and tell people what I think every now and again. Thanks, fellas. And thanks to all of you for listening. Oh, thank you. We're Ashley. thankful for Ashley. As we well. are so thankful for Ashley. A woman finally. finally. A biological <laughs> woman. A bio woman as she says. <laughs> uh, and I would like to echo her thanks for uh everyone who's listening right now, everyone who's listening to the podcast version uh and as I you're mashing those potatoes and adding the potatoes. root to the gravy <laughs> uh, that you're ooh. listening to us. Ooh, mm, that sounds really good. I'm so hungry now. Uh but I do want to extend a really genuine on behalf of Opera Box Score, a genuine genuine uh thank you from all of us here who come here every week. Um, and we do it for, for you guys, and we, we love that you listen, and we love that you support us. And, um, yeah, not to get too sappy with it. <laughs> Does anyone have a clip of Jesse Norman we could play? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we need to move on. All right. What happens when an opera company's credit gets downgraded? I don't know, but I bet the Met is scrambling to find out. That's all up next on Opera Box Score. WNUR 89.3 FM and HD1 Evanston, Chicago. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. 
More right after this. Listed as a must-listen podcast for opera by Playbill, week after week, Opera Box Score is expanding its reach, discussing news of the business, talking to opera's most important players, and infotaining the neophytes, conoscenti, and everyone in between. So I'm always, everyone. I'm always watching those like data videos, like how uh, like a certain artist like was dominant. Do you like, have one for neophytes? One no, of the I'm thinking graphs. about the play, you know the Playbill. Like, what is the most popular opera podcast, and how we're always dominating that. Yeah, we are. Week after week. <laughs> week after week after week. If you are new to the podcast, look back on our archives to find interviews with the likes of award-winning opera director Paul Curran, the Mozart specialist regular Mühlmann, and the star of the Mets sold-out production of Akhenaten. Sorry, Weston, you won't get to go see it in person this time. <sighs> oh, wow. Anthony Ruff Costanzo. Did anybody see the HD? I couldn't go. My dad did, and he sent me texts the entire time taunting me. And it's, Wednesday. It's like, and it's like next Wednesday. It's not Wednesday. this Wednesday. It's like next <gasps> Maybe Wednesday. I can make it. December 4th. <gasps> I'm so of course, excited. I have a rehearsal. <sighs> You can also use the podcast as a crib sheet to impress your friends with dope opera facts from segments like the OBS Hall of Fame, where we take a deep dive into the works and artists you need to know. That's dope opera facts, not dopey opera facts. (laughs) Wouldn't want to get that confused. (laughs) Uh, Or, if the blood sport of opera is what you crave, check out our TKO segments, where two singers duel to the death for the crown of bel canto supremacy in some of the most difficult arias in the repertoire. There will be no survivors. It takes me back to my conservatory days. I remember them well. <laughs> Access the complete archives by adding Opera Box Score to your podcast favorites or stream from Opera Box Score's page on SoundCloud. <laughs> this just in the two-minute drill. All right, listen up. Here's everything you need to know that happened in Opera Land over the past week. Last night, the Metropolitan Opera honored Jesse Norman with a starry tribute that included performances by Renee Fleming, Lisa Davidson, Latonia Moore, Janae Bridges, uh, Eric Owens, and Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater, along with videos of the great American diva throughout her career and reminiscences by friends and colleagues like Anna DeVere-Smith and Peter Gelb. The reviews are in for Kanye West's first opera, Nebuchadnezzar, the 56-minute spectacle which featured gospel choir, amplified singing, and some singing with vibrato began two hours after its ticketed start time and renewed the old debate for confused audience. Is oratorio opera? Opera Philadelphia has tapped Tishan Sori as the company's new composer-in-residence. He says, quote, I am thrilled to join Opera Philadelphia as composer-in-residence. Working with the company on Cycles of My Being, a song cycle for tenor Lawrence Brownlee, was an excellent collaboration, and I'm looking forward to spending more time there exploring opera as a form, storytelling, and the voice. The Vienna State Opera, which uses the subtitle system embedded on the back of seats, has added two new language options for visitors to the Staatsoper. In addition to English, French, Italian, German, Japanese, and Russian, the company will also be providing translations in Spanish and Chinese, presumably Mandarin. And speaking of the Wiener Staatsoper, the company will be staging its first opera by a woman in its 150-year history. Olga Neuwirth's opera is based on Virginia Woolf's novel Orlando, a biography. Neuwirth says she wants to shake up the status quo at the Staatsoper. She says, quote, Orlando is a remarkable human being who both questions every kind of duality and experiences a sense of in-betweenness in-betweenness in both life and art. It's about freedom of speech, about being who you are, to choose the identity you like and not be put into a drawer if you're a man or a woman. 
In other Vienna-related news, last Tuesday, a very personal device that vibrates caused a bomb scare during a performance by the Wiener Symphoniker at the Vienna Concert House. Fearing a terror incident, an employee working in the bag check area alerted the police and an explosive experts used uh, x-ray equipment to declare the site safe. The program, which included Wagner's Ride of the Valkyries and Siegfried Idil, continued uninterrupted. Katarina Wagner has renewed her contract as the general manager of the Bayreuth Fe- uh, Festival for another five years, further securing the Festspiele's reputa- uh, reputation as one of the more unique family business- businesses out there in Opera Land. She's the great-granddaughter of uh, the man himself. An article in the New York Times profiles the, quote, one-in-a-million voice of Lisa Davidson. At 32, the relatively young soprano has already taken on heavy roles that conventional wisdom would say she isn't ready for. Quote, it pisses me off a little bit that people say you have to be a certain age to feel certain feelings. Teenagers have all those feelings and more in a day. That's what she says to the New York Times, and that article will be on our website. The Metropolitan Opera Guild honored Martina Arroyo and Teresa Stratus last Wednesday with its 85th annual luncheon, which took place in New York City's um, Ciprani 42nd Street. Uh, the Diamond Jubilee celebration featured remarks by Stephanie Blythe and musical tributes by friends of the show Eileen Perez and Matthew Polizzani. The Mets in financial problem, uh, trouble for about the 700th time in its history. This time, the trouble comes in the form of a slight drop in its credit rating. S&P Global Ratings said the Met could keep its A credit rating if it didn't spend so much on capital and luncheons. They've moved, uh, downgraded a little bit to a slightly different category. The Met Chorus and their rigorous rep- preparation for the 2019-2020 season, which includes librettos in Czech, Russian, Egyptian, Akkadian, and bl- Biblical Hebrew, got some PR love this week. In an interview with Playbill, director Donald Palumbo said, It is the group's musical versatility, dramatic commitment, and consistent quality that sets the Met Chorus apart. Long Beach Opera is getting an interesting interim artistic director in the form of Yuval Sharam, uh, who plans to shake things up at the company. Quote, any other opera company in America would be completely blindsided by the projects that I'm proposing. Uh, every other opera company would turn ghost white at the, th- at the thought of this kind of season. I think it'll be great. Sounds like me. Uh, director Gareth Hancock has been dropped from the 2020 Glyndebourne Festival for, quote, inappropriate behavior, including a text sent to a sp- singer that sparked an HR complaint. No further evidence of similar behavior towards other members of Glyndebourne uh, have come to light yet. Uh, Marcelo Alvarez will uh, replace Fabio Sartori as Canio in the Gran Teatro del de Lisieux in Barcelona for the company's upcoming production of Pagliacci. Sartori canceled for, quote, personal reasons. Barry Hunk, Davide Luciano, has suffered a torn muscle, requiring several weeks of rehab at home in Italy, which will prevent him from singing the role of Don Giovanni in what would have been his lyric opera of Chicago debut. American-based baritone Ryan McKinney, who just closed Dead Man Walking with the company, will stick around to portray the titular Mozart anti-hero. And exit stage right, American-born baritone John Wagner died last week at the age of 69. Raised in Australia, he won a number of awards there, including four national Best Male Performer in an Opera Awards, as well as two Best Male uh, Opera Performer uh, Green Room Awards in the state of Victoria. Following a long illness at the age of 70, iconic choral conductor Sir Stephen Cleobury died on November 22nd, the feast day of St. Cecilia, patron saint of music and musicians in York, where he had lived since his retirement in September. One of the most important scholars of 18th century music and the editor of the Baron Reiter editions of Mozart operas, Daniel Hirtz, died today as well. He was 91 years old. And on this day, 
November 25th, we celebrate the birthdays of French conductor Jean-Claude Malgoire, born in 1940, Swedish baritone Haken Hagegaard, born in 1945, and Australian soprano Yvonne Kenny, born in 1950. And in 1882, it was the premiere of Gilbert and Sullivan's Iolanta. American composer Virgil Thompson was born on this day in 1896. Sergei Prokofiev's opera The Fiery Angel was fully premiered in 1955 on this date. And Shostakovich's arrangement of Modest Mazorsky's Kovanchina also premiered today in 1960. And that is your two-minute drill. That was a clip of Yvonne Kenny singing um, video lead from Merry Widow in yes. English. Off English. Off English. It's probably from English National Opera, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. No, actually, it was a, from a concert. Uh, and speaking of off English, uh, I quick correction, John Wegner was German. Uh, he was Born in Germany. Born in Germany, yes. Yes. Um, and it's my bad. Um, I was messing with the script, and I think uh, my joke, got read incorrectly so oh absolutely it yeah. did i was like what, what does this mean and then i was like oh vibrating personal device no. now i get no it. the joke was about how the mech could keep its a, a credit rating if it didn't spend so much capital on luncheons because uh, we just read a story about the diamond jubilee luncheon this, for, there are just so many jokes i just didn't get i know we're like an episode of arrested <laughs> development you, you know like, yeah you know, it's, it's, it's pretty great because we, we occasionally get comments from listeners that I talk to quickly, and uh, then you just give me this many things to read in two it, minutes. It's been a big week for news, <laughs> even in the opera world. Yeah, and day. we had to cut some stories on top we're, of that, too. So. Yeah, we're going to need to make it the 20-minute the drill just so I can read it all. All right, what sort of stood out, stood out to you today, Matt? So there was actually a little bit of good news in the story about the Mets' finances, though, which is that apparently both Porgy and Bess and Akhenaten were huge successes for them financially this this fall. Uh, both operas that were written after 1900. Uh, <laughs> so I think Ashley has one more thing to be thankful for. Uh, yeah, and with diverse casts, actually, if you put those two casts yeah. together, yeah. it's like the most brown people that the yeah. has ever seen. I think we're uh, <laughs> including I, the, the audience. I think we're noticing a pattern here, a guys. A little bit of a one. Yeah. 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 I, I, I would love to say that the Met will, uh, I, I hope the Met will take the right lesson from that, but uh, the, the Met is slow to change, but hopefully... Nothing compared to the v Vienna State <laughs> oh, Opera. This is true. At least the Met ha has had two operas by a woman. Uh, <laughs> I mean, but the, Vienna is the city where women weren't even allowed to play in the orchestra until 1997. Oh, yikes. I, I, was, yikes. I thought it was that late, but I had to check it. I even looked it up to make sure that I was correct before I slandered them. No, I, I, I'm right. 1997. Seven. I do have to say, though, that for a first opera written by a, a woman, this is a pretty challenging uh, piece on gender in general. And uh, they had commissioned one from her before, but they canceled it because the uh, <laughs> the, the libretto was too controversial. It had to do with uh, a Nazi doctor doing experiments oh, on man. children. Uh, I, I, I love Olga Neuvert so much. I've, 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 uh, the only opera of hers I've listened to before is Lost Highway, but I, I love all of her chamber music and... and um, orchestral stuff it's, it's great it's good stuff anyone out there who wants to send us to vienna to see this opera yeah. when it comes yeah. out, or the vienna state opera they can mm -hmm. actually fly us out there and they can know, afford like it opera philadelphia so uh, what stood um, out to you this week oliver well um you know oratorio 
is basically opera. And I think like an <laughs> opera like Samson Delilah, which is also from a biblical text, actually right. does fine without staging. And even Aida, as it turns out, which we had here at CSO, does fine without staging. Mm-hmm. I think for a first run, I mean, I didn't see this thing, but like the way it was presented is not doesn't bother me. Um, I think making the audience wait two hours uh, with nothing to do. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they're doing some projections. I don't know. <laughs> you what, know, it, it does kind of give me hope, though, because uh, p- people will complain about opera's inaccessibility. Um, but the fact that uh, Kanye West can announce uh, his opera and be two hours late and still have it be more or less a success, I think is like, we can do that. We can be two hours late. We can beat that. We can be on time. So I'm not a Kanye stan, but <laughs> I'm I, shocked. Yeah, but I, I appreciate the effort and sort of a nod towards the genre. And, uh, you know, nobody raised such a big stink when Rufus Wainwright wrote his opera or mm-hmm. uh, Tom Waits. We had that in as Baltzak recently mm-hmm. or the guy from the police, the drummer who wrote the uh, Island Stuart of Copeland. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, so I mean, I'm happy like he's going to put the word opera in a whole new audience's ear, and maybe they'll say, oh, what is opera? And I, I listened to a little bit uh, kind of uh, just on sort of pirated recordings in YouTube, um, and uh, it, it's got some interesting stuff in there. I mean, uh, is it totally opera? Mm-hmm. I think I think calling it an oratorio, I think, is probably yeah. more accurate, as I would yeah. say, but uh, it's got some But that really has things. more to do with the form than the music. Right, like the yeah. Mu- and and uh, we've, I've, a, I've laid down a hard line on this show that, drawing borders around what counts as an operatic sound is a self-defeating prophecy because there are you can find an example of something that's accepted as a quote-unquote legitimate opera that has probably done a weird thing just like that uh there's there's no need for the gatekeeping it's part of what (laughs) it's part of why people think they don't aren't interested in opera it's the kind of thing that i feel like if you got like two people and you're hanging out you can get into a fight about what's opera but you know that's something to be had between two aficionados and not in front of people who would who would be scared. Unless it's me and Oliver talking about Jesus Christ <laughs> yeah. Superstar. Yeah. A couple of quick that was hits. Exactly what I was a couple thinking. of quick hits. I'm sad about Davide Luciano because he's so pretty and I was really looking forward to seeing him. Ryan McKinney was great in Dead Man Walking though. So yes. I am yeah, but really yeah. he's not Davide Luciano. Um Long Beach Opera, we might we have a relationship with that company, so maybe we'll be able to talk to Mr. Sharon. Maybe they'll fly us out there and we yeah. can see the, the, the new opera that's going to make uh, yeah. the, the, all, all the conservative opera goers turn in their graves. I'm, I'm excited I'm a huge about that. Martina Royo fan and a Teresa Stratus fan, so uh, it's great that they were honored and maybe we'll honor them one day in the Hall of Fame. And I'm here for the Orlando Opera. I mean, I love the Tilda Swinton movie, Orlando, and I feel like it's perfect for like a countertenor slash trans baritone. I don't know, something like that, you know. Great, great. I'm looking forward to that. And Sharon is the one who directed Neuvert's Lost Highway at Frankfurt Opera. Oh, really? So, oh, that's cool. Really tying it all together yeah. tonight. Really, <laughs> really crossing those T's tonight. All right, we got to wrap it up. Good call. Bad call. On Opera Box Score. Who's got a good call for me? I've got a good call for you. Hit me with a good call. If you're out there on Opera Twitter and you don't already follow Karita Matala, <laughs> you should absolutely follow Karita Matala. <laughs> Her t- account is all over the walls, but in the it, in the last week, it included a, a screenshot of Prince Andrew trying to fo- follow her, and she said, look who just followed me. No mercy, even for royals. No. <laughs> Blocked. <laughs> Facepalm emoji, laughing tears emoji. That is exactly what I want out of my Finnish soprano divas. Absolutely. How about you, Oliver? What have you got? Really quickly, Brianna Sinclair 
uh, profile on the web series Now This Her. Look it up. If you on Facebook, look it up there. I'm so happy that exists. Friend of the show, Harry Rose, also known as the Opera Teen, is published in the Washington Post. Wow. He's beating us. He's taking, he's taking over for Anne Majette, <laughs> yeah. who has left the chief classical critic. And finally, remember this name, Marin Tack. M-A-R-I-N, Tack, T-A-C-K, I think mm-hmm. it's T-A-C-K-E. Um, anyway, she is a soprano who sang the role of Lisa in Dog Days here at Northwestern University's production of um, Dog Days. Um she was fantastic production. By she way. was incredible, and I will have nightmares about her performance. Yeah, well, Oliver and I both saw it. That was going to be my good call too. You kind of stole it a little bit, but uh, just the, the the haunting power of that piece is it's sort of unquantifiable. You know, it's a and, and everyone in that production, even though they're mostly students, and made me feel bad about myself. There were these <laughs> undergrads in there, oh, just killing it. It was phenomenal. All right, that is it for this week's edition of America's Talk Radio Show. About opera. The general managers at WNUR are Henry Moscow and Somil Songvi. Our announcer is Norm Waddell, who can be found at voxershorts.com. That's V O X E R S H O R T S.com. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra with opera statistics and on this day content from operabase.com. On Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. Be sure to share and comment on our posts there. On Twitter, we're at Opera Box Score. And please leave a review when you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. For Matt Cummings, I'm Weston Williams, asking you to continue the conversation about opera with friends or family around a dinner table full of turkey and mashed potatoes. We're back on Monday, December 2nd at 9 p.m. Central for more opera, more hot takes, and more turkey-based leftovers. Join us on the red carpet as we talk Grammys. That's right. That's coming up next. This is WNUR 89.3 FM and HD1 Evanston, Chicago, Chicago's Sound Experiment.